0: Hey, welcome to Christmas at Cross Point. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, well, it's good to see you, seven o'clock people. Uh, if I've never met you before, my name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, would love to meet you before you leave. I'm usually hanging out outside somewhere. Um, it's dark out, so you'll have to really pay attention, all right? But I'd love to shake your hand and say hi. We're just grateful that you've come to celebrate Christmas with us. Good to see you. So uh, with that said, if you have a Bible or a device with some kind of app, go ahead and grab it, and I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1 with me. Matthew chapter 1, and if you're new to the Bible or new to church, uh, Matthew, it's the very first book of the New Testament, so just flip past all the weird names in the Old Testament and you'll finally get to a familiar name, Matthew, and you'll be there, all right? Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to hang out. Well, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but part of me feels like we have somewhat normalized the Christmas story in our American culture today. For example, just last week, I was online looking at Christmas cards, and from the looks of many of them, you would think that Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, went down to the local hospital. You know, Mary got her epidural. She pushed a few times. Jesus was born. Everybody celebrated and lived happily ever after. And I'll give you some examples of what I mean. All right, check this out. Uh, This Christmas card I found, by the way, it was titled Christmas Jesus. Uh, I just love that. And I don't know what you notice when you first see this, but the first thing that caught my attention about this card were all the lights on the Christmas trees in the building. You know, apparently the card designer missed the memo that uh, Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb until 1879 because he has this thing lit up. You know, it looks like Jesus could have been born last week sometime, but it's just interesting to me. I hope nobody mailed this card out this year. All right, if it did, we'll forgive you. Uh, Look at this next one. I'm curious, any of you moms in the room, did you look like that after giving birth to your child? (laughs) Mary is put together, man. She's happy, big smile on her face. You know, it's almost like she didn't give birth in a stable with no medical care or attention at all. I'll show you one more. This one made me laugh. Merry Christmas to you. Happy birthday to me. I thought that was kind of funny. You know, it's a card that reminds us of the selfless nature of Jesus. Even though this time of year is all about him, he's still thinking about other people. I could show you plenty more examples than those because I found them. And some of them I probably shouldn't show you in church, but man, there's lots out there. But do you see what I mean when I say we've normalized the Christmas story? We've cleaned it up. Even though it's one of the most abnormal, messiest stories in the history of the world. It's a story full of tension, full of emotions, full of hardship. Parts of it are really, really hard to believe. And I would even say it's offensive in some ways. And I think you'll begin to see what I mean as we dive into the story tonight. All right, so let's go there. If your Bibles are open, we're going to start reading in Matthew 1, verse 18. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, all, it'll be up, uh, all of it will be there on the screen so you can follow along. All right, here's what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we'll stop there and talk, all right? Uh, Here's what we read. Mary and Joseph, this young teenage couple, the parents of Jesus, they're betrothed to be married. Now, I know betrothal isn't something that we talk about in our culture much today, so just think about it as an engagement on steroids, okay? Like, if you're engaged to someone today and you don't want to be engaged any longer, guys, you just get your ring back, or girls, you give the ring back, unless he did something really dumb, then you keep it and you pawn it, right? But... If you want to call it off, you just call it off and you go your separate ways. Well, you couldn't do that if you were betrothed to someone because there was a legal aspect to betrothal. So to call the whole thing off, it actually required you to go through a legal divorce process. And so that lets us know that this couple, they were devoted to one another. They were committed. Here they are planning their wedding. And the Bible says before they came together, now I want to be really careful here because I know we got some kids in the room with us, but you guys know what that means, right? If you don't know what it means, just act like you do and ask your neighbor later. But before they came together, uh, Mary was found to be with child, so she's pregnant now, we have no record of the subsequent, subsequent conversation that happened after that point between Joseph and Mary, but we can imagine it, can't we? I mean, I just picture Mary coming to Joseph and saying to him, hey, babe, we need to talk. And all you men in the room, you know if those words come out of your girl's mouth, like you better buckle up because it's about to go down, right? It's about to be intense. This was an intense conversation. She says to Joseph, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant, And I know you and I, we haven't done what you do for people to get pregnant. But don't worry, I haven't done that with anybody else either. The good news is God did this. Pause button if we can. Men in the room, will you just go there with me for just a minute? Can you imagine what was going through Joseph's mind when he heard that? Like I'm sure he was thinking either my girl has completely lost her mind or she has been smoking the good stuff because he knows like we know no woman gets pregnant without some man contributing something. And so Joseph decides to divorce her. And of course he does. Like what guy is not going to call off his engagement or his betrothal when his girl just came and said, I'm pregnant by God. That's insane. Like run for the hills. Now what fascinates me is this that Joseph decided to do the whole thing quietly. You see, in this culture, he had every right as a man to kill Mary for being an adulteress, or at the very least, he could have publicly shamed her. But he didn't choose to do either of those things. He actually showed her compassion and decided that he would take care of all of it behind the scenes. Now, look what happens next. Verse 20. Matthew continues, and he says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So as Joseph is making all his plans to divorce his future wife, he has a dream. And it's a dream that is It it just feels so real that it almost seems real. Have you ever had a dream like that? I had a dream like that about six and a half years ago. My wife and I had no kids at the time, but I had a dream, and in my dream, I was holding a little girl who was my daughter, and she had curly, wavy hair, and I kissed her on the face, and then I woke up. And it felt so real that I almost got out of bed and went and checked the other bedrooms to make sure there wasn't a baby somewhere in my house. You know, it's crazy. Now, what's crazier Is that two weeks after that dream, we found out my wife was pregnant. And then nine months later, she gave birth to my oldest daughter, Rowan, who just lo and behold has curly, wavy hair. And yes, I kiss her on the face all the time. It's awesome. Pretty crazy stuff, right? Never had a dream like that before. That one, haven't had one since. But that's the kind of dream Joseph had. Not only did it seem real, turns out it was real. In his dream, an angel comes to him, and this angel did three things he made an announcement. Gave Joseph instructions and then he offered an explanation. And we'll just unpack that, all right? So if you're taking notes, I'll give you some stuff to write down. The announcement was this Joseph, God did this. Mary is telling you the truth. I know it might be really, really hard to believe, but God the Holy Spirit supernaturally impregnated your future wife. Hard to believe. But in light of this, look, I want to give you a timeless biblical principle that is implied in this announcement, because I truly believe some of us need to hear this tonight. Here's the principle. We learn from this announcement that with God, impossibilities become possibilities. With God, impossibilities become possibilities. Is it humanly possible for a virgin woman to get pregnant without some kind of help? Now, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know the answer to that question. It's obvious, absolutely not. But the bigger question is, can God operate outside of human realities and human possibilities and do impossible things? Absolutely he can. He's been doing it throughout history. Now look up here, that's good news for some of us. Because some of us walked in the doors tonight facing certain human impossibilities and we can't see past them. Like, we're looking at certain aspects of our lives, certain circumstances that we're facing, and right now, in our minds, we're thinking, impossible. Impossible. That'll never change. I'll never fix that. I'll never let go of how I feel. This situation will never turn around. I'll never get past this struggle. Like, this is my life. I'm stuck here. Nothing is ever going to change for me. And can I just tell you, if that's you tonight, apart from God, you are correct. Apart from him, your life's the same. Apart from him, you're going to keep feeling the way you feel, struggling with what you're struggling with. You're going to walk in discouragement and defeat day after day after day. But please hear me, it doesn't have to be that way. Because with God, whatever you see as impossible becomes possible. That thing in your life that you think is unchangeable, he can change it. That part of you that that you think is too broken and too unfixable, he can restore it. And I pray that some of you experience the reality of that truth before you walk out of this place tonight. Secondly, after the the angel makes the announcement, he gives Joseph some instructions. And it's this. Hey, marry the girl. Like, what are you waiting on? Quit worrying about how it looks and what people are going to think and what people are going to say. Take Mary to be your wife. And then the angel continues and says... She's gonna have a son, and you need to name him Jesus. Now, the name Jesus is highly significant. It comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, where we also get the name Joshua, and it means God saves. Now, I think you'll agree with this. Uh, Most of us would probably never dare name our son Jesus, right? Can you imagine that conversation? What's your son's name? Jesus. Wow, you sure think a lot about your boy, don't you? it seems arrogant and almost sacrilegious. We wouldn't do that. But in this biblical culture, it was a very, very common name. Hebrew people would often name their kid Jesus, Yeshua, as a hopeful reminder of the promise God made to one day send a savior into the world for them. And so how fitting is it that when that savior showed up that his name would be Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. Now that understanding of his name takes us right into the explanation. And here it is. The angel says he will save his people from their sins. And I want to slow down and talk about this for just a moment because I understand some of us in the room might be new to this whole church thing, this Jesus conversation, and we're going, what does that mean? Save people from their sins. Like, what does Jesus do? How does he do it? What does it mean to be saved from sin? And And if he's saving me from it, what is he saving me to? Well, I want to help us through that, all right? And so I'm going to throw three words up here on the screen, and I think it'll help give you clarity uh, around the answers to uh, the questions that you may be asking. Here's first. Number one, the Bible teaches that Jesus, past tense, has saved us from the penalty of sin. This is a one-time event that the Bible calls justification, has saved us from the penalty of sin. Now, if you know the penalty of sin, just say it out loud. What is it? It's death, right? Physical death and spiritual death. We're all smart people, so we know that one day we are going to die physically. What we may not know is what happens after that, like what takes place after I die physically and they put my body in the ground. Well, the Bible teaches that apart from Jesus, spiritual death takes place after physical death. So contrary to what popular culture promotes, not everybody always ends up in a better place, right? It's only those that Jesus has saved from the penalty of sin that go on to some better place. Now, secondly, Jesus is saving us from the power of sin, present tense. This is a process that the Bible calls sanctification, It's a process that begins the moment a person puts their faith in Jesus, and it does not come to completion until that person sees Jesus face to face. Now, this process is about your holiness. It's about God the Holy Spirit going to work in your life to change you, transform you, free you from sin, free you from your struggles, so that with each and every day that passes, you become more and more like Christ. And then finally, I love this, The Bible says that Jesus will save us, future tense, from the presence of sin. This is a future promise called glorification, and none of us have ever experienced it because we're all here, right? But if we know Jesus, we'll experience it one day. And the promise is this, that God will take those of us whom Jesus has saved out of this broken world, and he'll bring us into his kingdom so that we can spend eternity with him. And on that day that it happens, he's going to make us just like Jesus. We'll never again struggle with sin. We'll never feel pain. We'll never go through struggles. We'll never experience loss. Never fear death again. Like all will be right in our worlds because all the thing we hate about this world, they will not be present in God's eternal kingdom. And for the rest of eternity, we'll know life and the way it was meant to be. Now, all that begs a question. And the question is this, how does Jesus do it? Like, how in the world has he saved us, is he saving us, and how will he one day save us from our sins? Well, Matthew goes on in the story, and he gives us further clarification, and he points us to the answer. Look, verse 22, the Bible says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Matthew, he's just reminding us here that Christmas is really the fulfillment of God's greatest promise to the world. A promise, as I said earlier, to send a Messiah or a Savior to restore broken, sinful people back to him. And then Matthew points us to a specific promise recorded by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 714. This was 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And that promise was when the Savior comes, he'll be born of a virgin and his name will be called Emmanuel. Now, I know some of us hear that and we go, "Uh uh-oh, problem. Bible's contradicted itself, James. Right, the angel said to Joseph, his name would be Jesus. And now Isaiah's saying his name would be Emmanuel. So which is it? And the answer is, yes, both. Okay, stay with me. Look up here. The name Jesus speaks to what he does. And what does he do? He saves. The name Emmanuel speaks to who he is. And who is he? He's God with us. Listen, I need us to understand tonight, especially if you're new to this whole conversation, that reality about Jesus is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion and belief system in the world. I know our culture likes to promote the idea that all religions worship the same God, but that is simply not true because no other religion or belief system in the world teaches and believes that Jesus is God. They might teach that he was a great prophet, uh, a moral leader, an authoritative teacher, but as Christians, we believe that he was God before he was any of those things. So Christianity set apart in that way. In addition, no other religion teaches or believes that God came to be with us. Instead, they teach that it's our job as people to make our way to God. Think about it like this. Just picture God best you can on top of a mountain, all right? Every other religion will say that there are many paths that lead up the mountain to God and and you need to get on a path. Just pick one and follow the rules and work hard and be a good person. And if you do a great job at, at all those things, then you can actually work your way up the mountain and find your way to God. Well, Christianity, on the other hand, says there are no paths that lead up the mountain to God. You can follow all the rules you want. You can try to be good and you can work hard and you can do all the right things, But you'll never make your way up the mountain to God. And so 2,000 years ago, God, in his great love for us, wrapped himself in flesh, and he came down off the mountain to be with us. That's the Christmas story. Now, why would God do that? Why would he do it? Well, this is where who Jesus is and what Jesus does starts to merge. Look, here's why he did it. God came to be with us to save us. You see, God knew that you and I could never save ourselves from the power, the presence, or the penalty of sin on our own. And so God, 2,000 years ago, left his throne in heaven and he invaded earth to do for us what was humanly impossible. That's the great news of the Christmas story. You see, it's not about what you need to do to be saved. It's about what God has done to save you. That's Christmas, It's a beautiful story of hope and life change. It's a story look that if you believe it, I promise you, it will absolutely set you free. God came to be with us, to save us. How, how? 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 What does that look like? Well, first off, He came to live the life you and I live. Hebrews 4:15 says he did it so that he could empathize with our weakness. Can I tell you what I love so much about Jesus? It doesn't matter what I go through in life, he's been through it first. In Jesus, we have a God who when we go to him with all of life's struggles, he doesn't meet us and say, wow, have no idea what that's like. I don't know what that feels like. So sorry, hope it gets better. No, Jesus was here and he he walked before us and he wore flesh like us and he experienced all that we experienced. He just did it without sin. And so when we come to him, we come to a God who says to us, I know exactly what that's like. I've walked in your shoes. I've felt that pain. I've, I've felt that kind of betrayal. I know what you're going through. And he's able to give you everything you need to get through it. But he not only came to live the life we live, he also came to live the life we couldn't live. A life of sinless perfection. Anybody want to stand up and argue about how perfect you are tonight? Nobody, right? Because we all know we are not perfect. But Jesus was. And that matters because it was his perfection that ultimately allowed him to die at the end of his life, the death we deserve. You see, Jesus went to a cross and everything we owed to God, he paid. Every bit of punishment we deserved, he took. He literally went through hell at the cross, died in our place for our sins so that you and I would never have to know what hell is like. But the great news is that's not where the story stops, right? Three days later, Jesus came bursting forth out of the grave, conquering sin, death, and hell for you and me so that we could be saved from those things and experience new and eternal life with him. Now look up here for just a moment, if you will. Can we have an honest moment? Some of us in the room need that kind of salvation, don't we? Because again, we're those people who've shown up tonight, and we are facing human impossibilities. We feel defeated. We feel discouraged because we've come to this conclusion that we can't save ourselves. Like We've tried. We've tried to fix our lives. we tried to turn things around. We've tried to give ourselves hope and joy and peace, and absolutely nothing has worked. And the is simple, because nothing and no one outside of Jesus works, You see, it's only the God who came to be with us to save us that can change our lives and give us all those things that we're desperate for but cannot give ourselves. Now, I have to imagine that some of us are sitting here, and uh, you're probably like me. You're skeptical by nature. And so you're thinking right now in this moment, James, what you said at the beginning of the message, very true, hard to believe. You know, cute story. Why should I believe any of it? Why should I believe that's who Jesus was. Why should I believe that he can change my life? Well, if you're wrestling with some of those questions, I, I wanna share a story with you about a couple in our church who both met Jesus here at Cross Point this year and they've had their lives radically changed by Jesus. And I hope that their story will encourage you to just at least consider tonight that maybe Jesus can do in your life what he's done in theirs. So let's turn our attention toward the screens and check this out
1: i'm justin this is joy and this is our story
2: about eight months ago we were unsaved not married but we had been living together for about six years and a group of girls had from my gym invited me to a bible study and i went and then they invited me to church and i went on easter just was working out of town in philadelphia so i went by myself to meet them and um, as soon as I walked in the door, they were playing music, I was running a little bit late, and uh, they were playing the song, Broken Vessels, and it just immediately started speaking to me, and um, felt a tug on my heart that, you know, I needed to do something to change my life, that I, I wasn't living the way I should. And um, I'll never forget that song or that day. Um, so when I got home, I just really didn't know what to say I couldn't talk to Justin because he had lost his phone and um, was working night shift so it was just everything was not (laughs) working for me that day but uh, so I decided to send him an email I thought well he'll at least get it you know when he wakes up and just let him know what's happened you know what what kind of all my emotions and everything that was going. And so I just wrote him an email telling him about the day and about getting saved and how I felt and the song. I even, um, well, it must've been the next day that I sent the link to the video at church. And uh, I said, you have to watch this. You know, James uh, started preaching about, um, uh, on Easter after the crucifixion, crucifixion of Jesus, and that you know how the others must have felt were they caught in the waiting did they feel regret or shame and I've realized that I was caught in all those things and hopelessness and that was just really spoke to my heart and so I wanted Justin to hear that and um yeah so
1: yeah that with the with email I got the link first I think you told me to um watched the, the video or whatever of James and said, you like this guy, I watch him. And I sat on my tablet in the hotel and I watched it. And as I was watching it, I got the email where you told me that you were saved. And um, I didn't open it yet. I watched the full service. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I like, you know, I like what I heard. And then I opened the email that she had been saved. And I just sat like, wow.
2: Then he joined me at church whenever he got back.
1: hmm. And, and walked right in, and the the music was the same. It was just it touched me that day. And it was going what like three or four weeks, I guess. And
2: we started the uh, Ten Commandments series. Started
1: Ten Commandments, and uh, really didn't know the Ten Commandments. Didn't I guess I thought I did? Didn't know them all, or the meaning of all of them. And uh, James was preaching on uh, murder and basically I could, when he brought up the medical part, um, my mother had leukemia and we had to uh, unhook her from life support and I, don't know, I kinda I struggled with that, didn't know if it was right or wrong, if it was you know, my decision or whatever and uh, that was all I could think of, of during that service and it just, it touched me like I was I did the right thing, I guess. I knew that that's what she wanted. You and said it was
2: like a relief came over you. Yeah, it
1: was that bad, you know. It's he always kind of felt like he had murdered her, you know. And the guilt in that way, And uh, <laughs> And then after that, um, that touched me. I went up, um, took the invitation, got saved. Um, my whole life changed. It was like the greatest day of my life. I just, it was, um, it was, Awesome. It was a good day. It was a great day. Until I guess the next Sunday. <laughs> and that's where we come in and uh still on the Ten Commandments and the next week was adultery. Um never knew what adultery really was. I just thought that it was, you know, in marriage I guess it didn't count. You weren't supposed um,
2: to cheat on your spouse. Yeah,
1: supposed to yeah, <laughs> cheat on my spouse. And, you know, that wasn't happening. So I thought, well, I'm all cool with this until I realized I wasn't supposed to do it at all. <laughs>
2: so so um. we learned that our living situation was not ideal for us and not what God wanted in our relationship. And we both uh, were extremely convicted when we left church that day. Um, just sort of looked at each other and... Was like, okay, I think we need to get married, but how do we do this? You know, our he travels a lot, and I'm in school, busy schedules. And <clears throat> he said, I know, I'll, we'll call Zach. We'll we'll see if we can meet up with Zach Morgan. He informed us that yes, we our convictions were correct that <laughs> we were not living in a situation that we wanted to, and so uh, I had to leave. Justin and I decided that. <laughs> Uh, fortunately, we have a big enough house that we he moved to the basement, and um, so we separated and planned our weddings. So in the last eight months, our life looks a lot different than it did before. We have joined a small group. We were baptized. We um, went marriage counseling. Went to marriage counseling. We got married. Got married. Um, and
1: go to church regularly. We go to church
2: regularly and reading our Bibles and excited to learn more about Jesus because um, I've never really read the Bible before. Uh, one thing that God has showed me and transformed in me is uh, just showing me the love to have for people like Jesus did um, and just giving hope and...
1: And grace. Yeah, and
2: able to show grace more to people. He's
1: trying to be more Christ-like like the good father that he
0: is. I want to thank Justin and Joy for uh, sharing their story, man. Um, I'll tell you one of the things I love about their story the most, and I'm going to kind of put them on the spot here for just a moment. Uh, I feel like I meet somebody that knows Justin like every week, right? And and they always tell me like, dude, you don't understand how different that guy is. Like you don't understand the conversations that we used to have versus the conversations that we're having today. I mean, we got a text. He, he was in London this past week visiting his grandmother and we get a text and he's got her sitting on the floor. He's making her watch sermons from Crosspoint. And he's just telling everybody he knows about what God has done in his life. And just awesome. That's what he does. he will tell you, man, the Lord changes people. He changes people. And maybe you walked in today and, and you're in a similar place to where they were. You know, you kind of walked in and you just live in life and it's the same day in and day out. And maybe you feel caught in some things like shame and guilt and fear and regret and defeat. And you've just kind of settled and you've started to believe, well, this is just my life. And this is the way things are always going to be. Or maybe that person who walked in tonight and, you know, you just came in and little expectation of God doing anything in you, but you have realized that God brought you here tonight for a reason. It's no mistake that you're sitting in the seat you're sitting in. God led you here to this place tonight to remind you of his great love for you and to declare to you what he can and will do in your life if you'll turn to faith in him. And I believe some of us need to take that step tonight. We need to turn in faith to the Lord and we need to believe in what he's done. And so if you're a person that needs to take that step, I wanna help you take it right now. So just all over the room, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just settle into this moment. And I wanna encourage you just, and really focus on whatever it is that that God wants to do in your life right now. Forget about the distractions Forget about the people around you, where you have to be after this. Just just get along with the Lord. Let Him speak to you. As you're settling in, I'll, I'll just end with this. One of the things I love about the end of the story that we read tonight is it says that after Joseph woke up, he did as the angel commanded. He took Mary to be his wife. She had a son and they named him Jesus. And so in this moment joseph he believed god i'm sure it was difficult i'm sure he still had certain questions and doubts running through his mind but he believed god and he took a step of faith again here's the promise jesus says i will save my people not all people but i will save my people and the great news for us is all it takes to become one of his people is faith belief in what god has done god doesn't ask you to fix your life He doesn't ask you to clean yourself up before coming to him. He wants you to come to him just as you are because he loves you that much. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And so if you need to come to him in faith tonight, believing in what he's done for you through Jesus, man, just say something like this to him in prayer. Say, God, I need my life to change. I confess that I'm a sinful person and that I cannot save myself. God, I believe in your great love for me. You sent your son into the world to save me. I believe in his perfect life. I believe in his death on the cross for my sins. And I believe in his resurrection from the dead, that I could be set free from sin and set free from death and know a new life and know eternal life with you. And so God, in this moment, would you forgive me of my sins? past, present, and future. God, would you take control of my life and make me into the person you want me to be? And God, finally, will you give me the hope of eternal life with you one day? God, I say yes to Jesus. Now listen, with head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed that with me, only if you just prayed it with me, if you didn't just pray it, no need to do this, but if you just prayed that with me or something like it, would you just look up at me for just a moment, just, just peek up here, I know it can be a little awkward and a little weird, but just peek up here. Just look at me in the face. For those that are looking at me right now, first let me just say, uh, you made the greatest decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Right now, God says that because of your faith in him, he has welcomed you into his family as a loved son, a loved daughter, and nothing you'll ever do will ever change that. And so I just want to say, welcome to the family. You're loved by God. Now the second thing I want to ask is this, and this is kind of a favor, and it's going to require a little bit of courage on your part, but we want to give you something in the next couple of minutes, all right? We don't want to wait until later. We want to put something in your hand right now, just some resources to help you get started in your new relationship with Christ. I promise we won't make it weird. We're not going to lock you away in a room. We're going to put it in your hand and get you right back in here for the rest of the gathering. And so here's what I want to ask you to do, all right? In just a minute, the band's going to come, and they're going to lead us, and we're going to stand to our feet. As soon as we stand, don't just stand there, but instead push past the people in your row. If you wanna bring a friend, grab their hand and make them come with you. But I want you to meet us right out in the lobby where you came in. We're gonna have an awesome team of people out there. I'm gonna walk out there in just a moment as well. Would love to meet you. But we wanna, again, put that gift in your hand, pray with you, and then we're gonna get you right back in the room. So let me pray for your courage, and then I'm gonna ask you to take that step. Lord, thank you for these men and women that were just looking at me, God, to acknowledge that they put their faith in you tonight as Savior and Lord. And God, I thank you, God, for their new salvation. God, my prayers that you'd start your work in them even right now in this moment. And God, that they would experience what it means to have their lives completely changed by you. God, in a moment, would you give them the courage they need to take a step? a step to let somebody know what you've done in their lives because it deserves to be celebrated. So, Father, we commit this time to you. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.